Lily. Julian scientist suspected of illegally spreading toxic and biochemical substances. Hello everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts, in what is in fact our final episode of 2020, and let me welcome in the usual cast, it's Mr. Venom joining me, how are you doing? Greetings and salutations, germaphobes. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, how are you doing Mike? <laughs> it's funny to be... Are you dressed as germaphobes, because in this day and age, I think a lot of people have become germaphobes if they weren't before i wish more people would be germaphobes then maybe we could control this goddamn virus true if more people were scared to go outside and scared to kill their grandma maybe uh you know we'd be out of this by now (laughs) all right also joining us been here for a while now welcome back don and ellie how are you doing don Uh, what's going on everyone uh happy holiday season to everyone and uh Ugh. I am so fucking like 2021 instead of 2020 on my stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. I was, I was, uh, who, I can't remember who I was talking to about top 10 list. Um, and we were just kind of going over some movies and I swear like the first few months of 2020, it, almost feels like it's a completely different year because you know everything was just normal so when i'm like looking back at stuff we did over this year there's some movies from like january february and even march where i'm like oh yeah that was 2020 when it's almost like i break 2020 into i i identify with it so much just the pandemic that those first couple months before any of this i forget that that was stuff from this year but that's getting ahead of myself because I'll probably repeat all that. Yeah, that's a conversation for I don't the, know why it came into my mind all of a sudden. Well, that's a conversation for the best of show, not for tonight. <laughs> all right. Well, tonight, final movie. Uh, there was a few to pick from. Um, this one I, I kind of had sitting on my uh, playlist for a while, and I just kind of threw it out, and everyone agreed. So... It is Final Contagion. I think it's actually like it Ill, Ill colon. Ill Final yeah. The mm-hmm. full title should be Ill Final Contagion. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is correct. And this is an anthology with a few directors, a few writers. It looks like from the credits on each 
segment, the writer or the director, the director was the writer. So I guess that would be a Uh a writer. And let's see. I will look at the synopsis. Follow a mad Chilean scientist. Deadly virus escaped the lab on contaminated currency worldwide. A thief steals contaminated notes in Italy. A Kosovo patient is infected in extreme surgeries. A German father is desperate to save his son. Not really spoilers. It's more just like the setup of each segment. So, and we'll get into the whole story thing in a minute, I guess, because I have I, I kind of have a question to pose once we get into spoilers. I'll leave it for that, just because it might be considered too spoilery the way we answer. So we will get into general thoughts first. Venom. I'll just say final contagion. What did you think? All right, this is. This is going to be a movie that I feel is going to be really divisive in the community. Um, it's currently has a very low score on IMDb. I don't agree with that score, but I am also the kind of person who likes kind of gross out horror. And I'm not sure if you would really consider this straight up gross out horror, um, but it did instantly remind me of 2018's Kuzo. I don't know if anybody out there saw Kuzo. But it was a Shutter original from a couple of years ago, directed by uh, the musician White Lotus. That was a ultra gross out movie. Also an anthology, also dealing with uh, some kind of virus or bacteria that escapes the Earth uh, when there's an earthquake in L.A. and the Earth cracks open. Blah blah blah. Anyway, uh, watching this movie, you know. Just a few minutes into the first segment, I instantly started getting, maybe not a few minutes, but once the first segment was over, I definitely started getting uh, vibes of that Kuzo movie. Um, This is also an unearthed film, if I remember correctly. Right, Don? Is this unearthed? I don't remember. Glass House, I'm sorry. Oh, wait, it's Glass House in the U.S. Right, yeah, that sounds more familiar, because I don't remember Steven talking about this. That's weird. For some reason, I thought I saw a review where somebody mentioned this was on Earth. But yeah, there's nothing nothing confirming that on IMDb, so skip that altogether. That's what I'm saying. I don't remember Steven talking about this, because I'm in the group, so... Mm -hmm. Um, As Mike said, this is an anthology following a virus, the spread of a virus that starts in Chile and moves all over the world. I, I... This is an odd anthology because there's no wraparound story. Uh, We get a little bit of a cold open that really doesn't set up anything until you finish the movie. Like once you finish the movie, you kind or at the very least, once you finish the first segment, you kind of understand the cold open a little bit more. And some people could actually consider the cold open part of the first story. But um, I did like how they presented this story to us. I liked how... Um, each segment was different parts of the apocalypse. So rather than all four of these stories kind of happening at the same time in in a a very close proximity, like within a few days of each other or something like that, they spread this out. I mean, uh, the opening story is basically day zero. And, And you get that designation at the beginning of every segment. You don't get the titles of each segment until you watch the credits, but you do get the location and the, um, and the day of the outbreak. So, you know, first segment's day zero. Uh, the second segment, I believe, is day 86. And then the the final segment is day 913. So, obviously, that's almost three years into the uh, apocalypse there. Um, so, that part of it I really enjoyed. Um, 
most of what was happening in the stories I thought was pretty cool. The individual stories are okay. The storytelling's not stellar by any stretch. There's going to be, there's a lot of slow spots in the movies, uh, in the segments. Um, one particular segment, the second segment, which is actually the longest one of the film, I, th- there's a good 10 to 15 minutes of it where you're literally just watching a character deteriorate. Um, or maybe at least it felt like 10 to 15 minutes. Maybe it was only a few minutes, but, um, you know, this definitely isn't the most action packed horror film out there. It's definitely more just watching how different people are affected by this virus. And what's cool about it too, is that how all the different people within the story, uh, are affected by the virus because obviously in day zero, um, the first segment, the person who starts the whole thing, you know, they, they get a blast to the face of the virus. So they obviously don't last very long. Whereas as the movie goes along, suddenly you've got people catching the virus, but then living, you know, two, three, four days all the way up until we get to the final segment where it looks like, like I said, the dad and um, his son seem like they've been dealing with the virus for the entire almost three years. Like I said, day 913. So just short of three years for that segment. Um, so that part of it, I liked what I didn't really like about it was just how doomy and dreary the movie is. Now, obviously it's a contagion movie, much like a zombie movie where there's not going to be a happy ending. You know, it's generally a fairly gloomy ending, but this movie throughout the entire thing, it's very dark, very gray. Everything is very, I mean, there's there's no, like, happiness throughout the whole movie. Maybe in one part of the opening segment before the virus gets out, there's a little bit of happiness. You know, some revelry here and there. But for the most part, once the virus gets out, it's all doom and gloom. So it's not the most enjoyable viewing experience. You know, I've talked about frustrating movie experiences in the past. Um, this movie isn't necessarily frustrating, but like I said, at times the pacing slows to a crawl. Um, the acting is okay. I would call it passable. I'm not going to say that the acting was great. No, it's not like anybody's performance really blew me away, but at the same time, only one person's performance in the movie really took me out of it because they were so over the top. And I tend not to blame actors for that. I usually will blame a director when they get a bad performance out of their actors. But, um, yeah, the main character in segment number two is just, you know, uh, We'll get to it when we get to the spoiler section. Anyway, overall, I'm going to call this an average to above average anthology. It didn't blow my mind. It's not anything that I'm really going to revisit all that often. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention also another thing that I really liked about this movie is um, since this movie was filmed during a pandemic, all four segments take place in different areas and they actually were shot in those cities. So the first segment is what? Uh, Chile. So it's actually shot there. The second segment is in Rome. The third segment is in Kosovo, Russia. And the last segment is in Cologne, Germany. And what they did is all four segments are actually written and directed by natives of those countries. So again, first segment directed by a Chilean uh, director. Second segment 
directed by an Italian director. Um, they did all this, obviously, because of restrictions, you know, because of the pandemic. People can't travel. You can't get a lot of people together in small spaces. So you'll notice as you're watching this movie, uh, the, the theme of isolation is kind of throughout. You know, every, it seems like everybody lives alone or with one other person. Um, so, you know, you could tell that this was kind of shot during a pandemic. But the fact that we're getting four different flavors from four international directors, I actually will give them kudos for that. I liked it a lot. I even like the opening music of the of the entire program came off as very Italian 80s to me. It almost sounded like a giallo. So I will, you know, again, I will give credit for the score. But like I said, it's just, it's one of those movies that isn't bad, but it's not remarkable. So I'm not sure um, how often I'll revisit it. But you know, for whatever it's worth, the two watches that I had this weekend, I don't regret. Um, I had a pretty good time with them, but it's probably not anything that's going to get me to revisit it. So that's it for me for general thoughts. All right. Don, what did you think? Um, I'm a tad higher on this than Venom. Um, I do find... A lot of the segments actually pretty enjoyable. Um, much like him, I do have issues with the second one, which is the one that I'm not as much a fan of. Uh, for pretty much a lot of the same reasons he brought up, um, the, char- the lead character is somebody that I I just have no sympathy for whatsoever. And, you know, fuck his situation. He got what he deserved. <laughs> but uh, generally, I, I actually do find a lot of the 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 other segments really enjoyable um the first one is definitely the one that sticks out because uh, i'm actually so glad you brought this up because it was one of the issues i ha- issues i had with the film overall is the inconsistency with it in that it really seems more like everybody just had the, the ba- either the basest idea of what they were supposed to do with their segment or and i i, I don't feel as strongly that this the case, but I'm, I'm still thinking this could be a possible, is that everyone had pre-filmed segments already done for another pro- project, and they just brought them together to do this mm-hmm. because there's, like, no real consistency here. I mean, even if you take into account, like, what Venom said, the first one features them, you know, the, I'm trying to not be a spoiler I can't mm-hmm. hear, but <laughs> the victims, let's just say this, the victims are established point blank as having contracted it and within the matter of maybe five minutes they are incapacitated to the point of being unable to walk whereas you look at the second segment this char- the situation seems to occur over the course of maybe a month based on the deterioration of the the flat where he's in it seems to like take place over the course of a month and yet this guy is still not necessarily incapable of walking but is obviously afflicted with something in the third segment it seems to be a situation where it takes place over the course of at least a day as to like mm-hmm. showing the effects of the virus if not actually being like completely In the last one, it seems as though there's, you know, like, it, you know, again, it's like a month-long thing. I mean, I don't think that this has been the case where they're, they're, they've been afflicted with it for like three years, 
but I still think that this is something where, you know, the inconsistency of the virus is an issue, and it's something that stands out for me. Um, but other than that, I don't have too many issues with it. Um, I still like a lot of the... Um, I, I still like a lot of the body horror stuff. Uh, it's actually handled pretty well. It, um, you know, they're definitely really gross and sickly looking, um, which is a real plus. And I also have to say that I do enjoy a, what they did in the third segment, where instead of doing just straight body horror, they do a lot. So they do um, discomfort with syringic needles in various locations, which we'll probably bring up, which um, kind of mm. added to that segment. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was um, kind of cool. Overall, um, I'd probably say it's a bit uh, it's a bit above where Venom would have it. I'm still trying to decide where I would place this on like a best of list. Like if this would be something as to like a a necessary watch for somebody trying to figure out the list. Um, I mean, like you said, you know, the second segment is the weakest and it's the one that brings it down the most. So I don't know if that would be like a detrimental factor for somebody, but overall it, I, I really like it. And I, I would say at least three of the four segments are worthy of a watch. So I don't know if that makes for like an inconsistent anthology, but you know, we've covered worse on this year, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I could actually answer your question on the inconsistency of the uh, different segments. Um, that was actually done on purpose. The main director of this uh, movie is the, the guy who directed the first segment in Chile. His name is Lucio Rojas. He uh, contacted mm -hmm. the other three directors um, to talk about this film... And he didn't. He basically didn't tell them what he was doing with his segment. He basically gave everybody an outline. Here's basically what we want. You know, we want to have some characters, either one or more characters, catch this virus and see a slow deterioration or a fast one, depending on what you want to do. So basically, Lucio uh, gave uh, the other three directors pretty much uh, creative liberty to do whatever they wanted. And he kind of knew. Uh, I, I actually watched an interview with him just before we recorded here. And he actually knew that the segments were going to be inconsistent. But because all four of them take place in different parts of the world and during different parts of the, uh, of the, of the you know, contamination, uh, the, you know, the apocalypse, um, he was okay with the inconsistency. So, yeah, that's a purposeful choice by the main director. Mm, I'll, I'll buy it, but still. Um, from the guy that did trauma, I would have expected a little bit better. And I, I actually like that because, like I said, you can kind of explain why these people are reacting differently. Like I you know, we talked about our victims in the very first segment, our patient zero, if you will. They took a full blast of the virus right to the face. So just like Don said, it makes sense that they're not going to last as long. Whereas people – and then you did notice, too, that um, with the segments being in different parts, like it starts in Chile – and they never return to South America. So, right, yeah, yeah, they yeah. stay 
Europe. So the, the last three segments are all in Europe. So obviously by the time the virus travels there, it could potentially mutate into something different. Uh, potentially there could be different variables about the human body that make certain people react differently to it. Though there were some consistencies. I mean, we did see some consistencies with what the eyes did. It seemed yeah. like the eyes were consistent across all four segments. Um, so, you know, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, I, I, I'm probably okay with a little bit of differences. Because, like I said, it gives us the flavor of four different directors from four different countries basically doing a segment about the same virus. And well, here's yeah. the thing. And here's the thing. In the second segment, when he flips on the news station and he sees the report about the guy in the Chilean first thing. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if the dialogue or the subtitles or something had said there was a mutation from this original infection, I have no issues whatsoever now. If, if during that news report, if there would have been a subtitle saying that, you know, the European Union now has this virus, it's, it's a mutated strand of what happened, yeah. of what they found in Chile, right. I now have no complaints because the now you... The problem with that theory is that the second segment takes place on day 86, Think about day 86 of the COVID uh, thing. I mean, to this day, we haven't heard anything about any kind of mutations. You know, like we're, we're still not sure if COVID has mutated, if the virus or excuse me, if the um, the vaccine that's going around now, is that going to be the only vaccine we ever need? Or are we going to have to take it once, you know, COVID mutates? So I, I don't think mutations happen like over a day or a couple of weeks. I think that's something that takes a little bit longer for a virus or a bacteria to mutate. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm speaking completely out of my ass because I don't know science at all. I'm yeah. just I'm just trying to I'm, come and up. And with I'm just saying I'm just saying as a, as somebody that likes internal consistency in a story, if you say that there's a mutated vi- version of a virus, not even saying anything else, just saying a mutated version of a virus originally found in Chile and has made its way to the to Europe, I have now wipe away any inconsistency mm. story whatsoever because now that says okay, this is a potential version of the same one. But if there's any differences now, I can attribute that to the mutation. Well, like I said, since the yeah. second segment is day 86, they would never – there's no way that they would be able to tell that a virus mutates in less than 90 days. I mean, and, that, would, and that would probably kill us, actually. If, if on, a virus honestly, honestly, I'm not even 100% sure originally what it is. Like, is it a straight virus? Is it like a potential bioweapon? Is it whatever? Because in the first segment – it seems to me that like, like yeah. well, I suppose I was going to say the, the people that got struck with it first, it seemed like it was a hundred percent in its purest form. And it was, you know, right. They straight up inhaled it into the face and all that. I, what I was thinking, um, and I think this is not too spoilery is I was assuming that the way the anthology was going was, it was kind of showing how something like this affects different people and different statuses in different walks of life because of well, the yeah, characters but, I mean, in virus, each segment. Like how would a virus know the difference between, you know, a common, a commoner versus a, you know, a nobleman. It's like not a virus. Is well, no, the, vi- the virus, it, it, the virus itself, if, if it's a virus such as like COVID or like a flu, it wouldn't. But if it's, if it's a bioweapon or something else that pharmaceutical, cause you got to remember at the beginning, 
he was off, he was retrieving that for somebody, right? That cold opening. I assume so, yeah. someone I, was paying him to to get it because then when simple, he's at the bar, I mean, when he's at the bar, he's like, I have a high priced client that was such and such. So he was. He well, was we're getting ahead of ourselves because that's actually something that I was I was going to bring up too. All right. So section. let me. All right. I'll just do my general thoughts and then we'll because obviously we have questions. So. Um, for me, yeah, I am probably about with Dawn a little higher than Venom. I think I, I had a good time with it. I love the body horror stuff in it. Um, I like the, you know, I like the way it showed uh, how the shows up in different places and how it affects uh, people differently. Maybe how they contracted it or how they came into contact with it. I thought all the you know, it was gross when it needed to be. It wasn't just what ninety minutes of straight gross stuff, but when we needed the money shots of gross things, we got them. I liked the score for the most part. Um, I think I want to say, man, I I'm I'm forgetting if it was. I think it was segment three that there's just parts where the score really kicked in. That I was like, wow, this is yeah. really good. Um, I think the weak point of this is uh, the stories just don't feel very fleshed out. And that can just be it's a victim of, you know, they had to make it in the pandemic. Um, obviously, Venom explained, hey, I'm giving a rough outline of what to do. And then you kind of take it from there. Obviously, you know, limited cast because of the pandemic in each segment. It's, you know, very few characters in each one. It It feels like in your in your typical anthology you know you, you usually get like what anywhere from three to five like it feels like mini fleshed out stories where in this one it more feels like it's four stories of you just getting a peek at different people that come into contact with the virus you don't really get tons of background on anyone you just kind of get a rough setup of like okay watch what happens when the virus hits this person and then watch what happens when it hits this person so it there's going to be some people that probably have issues with just, you know, the segments not being full stories. Uh, but other than that, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, had fun with it. It, it. it feels very timely, obviously. Anything <laughs> to do with a virus or anything contagious or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, so I would say yeah, above average, not great. Um, but still enjoyable. I would still recommend seeing it. You know, if, if anyone mm-hmm. listening, if you're trying to get all your 2020s in and you haven't seen it yet, I would say check it out. Yeah, yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the second segment, just the main character. I actually think the effects in the second segment are probably some of the best ones in the film. Same here. Um, yeah, I, I love his final form. I, I you know, our, our victim, if you will, of segment two. I absolutely love his final form, uh, which obviously we'll get to in the spoiler section. But yeah, um, I didn't really talk much about the effects or the body horror when I was uh, talking about my my general thoughts. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that totally stuck out for me. It was there and it was subtle and I liked it. Not in every scene, obviously. Some scenes were not subtle at all. Uh, but I, I, I just. I don't know. For me, the biggest issue was probably the pacing. Like I said, it just, I wasn't always like, if I'm looking at my phone more than a couple of times in the course of a movie, then I'm not as into it as I should be. 
And you know, this is a you know, this is a foreign, uh, a foreign, um, not foreign language, thankfully, but a foreign, uh, you know, horror film with different international directors. So uh, luckily, you know, we don't have to deal with subtitles at all. There's a little bit of Spanish in the opening segment, which I know if you don't speak Spanish, you're wondering if you're missing any major plot points. I assure you, you are not. There were no major plot points being discussed by the women in the first segment, but. I still, like I said, I, I really appreciated what they were able to do during a pandemic, the fact that they were able to put together this movie, even though it doesn't look like a big-budget Hollywood film by any stretch. It definitely has indie horror all over it. Um, it it kind of felt like like the 28 Days Later a little bit, but less glossy even. Like, 28 Days Later was even more professionally made than this one, and it... And, you kind of feel it. I was talking about the grindhouse feel of like some of those '90s grindhouse films. Um, this movie definitely has that feel, um, and for you know obvious reasons, you know it's going to get comparisons to Cabin Fever and uh, like I mentioned, Kuzo earlier. You know your 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 bigger Contagion movies. Uh, Contagion is another one. Um, so yeah, I mean, for whatever it's worth, I definitely for the most part, enjoyed this movie. I wish there was a, I really wish they went a little bit more over the top with the effects. It almost seems like maybe if there were no pandemic and these guys would have been able to get together to do their segments, then maybe we might've gotten a little bit more, you know, uh, money put into the effects, but I'm not complaining necessarily. It's all practical effects. Uh, the effects that we do get are great. Um, we don't get a lot of, on-screen death, if you will, you know, you some off-screen, and then some people just kind of passing out from the virus. But of course, the damage is done. You see all the damage on them. Um, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this tangent, but yeah, I, I for the most part, I don't want to seem like I'm down on the film. I will admit, I probably didn't enjoy it as much as Mike and Don. But I still do recommend the film. I still think it needs to be watched. And the nice thing about anthologies like this is you don't have to watch them all in one sitting, ultimately. You know, you can watch half of it now. And then the final two stories later, blah, blah, blah. The final two stories are uh, the two shorter ones, too. So that makes it kind of nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, I can't get into too much because, you know, the segments... Uh, we've talked in generalities about as much as I think we can. So, what do you, what do you think, guys? Into the spoiler section? I think we're ready. All right. All right. So, our movie opens up with a mysterious man uh, wearing a hoodie. Uh, breaking into a locked facility of some kind. We're not sure. We don't see, like, signs or anything. We can't tell uh, where he is. But it's obviously a place that's been abandoned for a little bit of time. You know, it, it doesn't look like it's, like, 200 years old or anything. But it looks like an old hospital, maybe, or an old laboratory, something like that. Um, he's uh, basically searching throughout the facility for something. We don't know what he's looking for until he gets to a locked cabinet. He's able to rip the door off of the cabinet and he finds a small metal, well, not a small, but like a metal briefcase, uh, one of those insulated metal briefcases. Uh, he takes the case home and just when it looks like he's about to open the case, he actually pulls a smaller case out from under his coffee table, opens it. And inside of that, we see a gun and an old cell phone, like an old Nokia-type cell phone. A and burner. That's pretty, yeah, a burner, exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much the end of our cold open. Uh, like I said, it, it's really more of an intro for the first segment than anything else. Because like I said, you don't know who this guy is, but 
you will shortly. So we go into um, our title card for chapter one. This one takes place in Chile, and uh, the day designation is day zero. So it is the beginning of the uh, virus uh, outbreak, and the, the actual name of this chapter is Contagion. So uh, basically what we see is two attractive women, one more attractive than the other, but still two fairly attractive women uh, walking into a bar or like a club, something loud music is playing. There's not a whole lot of people in the club. Uh, obviously, we know it's because of COVID-19, but, you know, for the movie, it works fine. Uh, they end up finding a guy sitting by himself having a drink. Uh, they kind of have a discussion amongst themselves, and they decide to go hit on this guy. Uh, they walk up to him. They, you know, they get all friendly and chummy. They have some drinks. You know, uh, basically, we see them kind of, you know, um, having a good time at the bar, drinking, uh, you know, playing. He's playing a prediction game where he's almost acting like a swami. Uh, and obviously, he makes the uh, douchebag prediction that the two girls will end up with him back at his house that evening. And, of course, what happens? How slick. How yeah. slick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely a Don Juan right there. And we're in Chile, so it makes sense. All right, so... Of course, the girls do end up going back to his house where they continue drinking. Um, they realize, or after a while, you start to realize that these girls aren't really here specifically for sex or any kind of interaction with this guy. There's definitely a, a more of an ulterior motive um, in their motivation, but we're not 100% sure if they picked this guy just on, at random or if they've been or if they know him and they want something specific from him that's not really ever um figured out but by the end as the viewer you kind of make your own designation there um basically uh the girls start pouring glasses of wine uh from the man's from the gentleman's house uh we see one of the girls, the less attractive girl, um, spike the guy's drink, puts, puts a roofie or something in his wine. They leave him alone for him to finish his wine, and they go to the bathroom, and they're having a small conversation in Spanish. You know, this is one of the non-translated conversations. They're not really saying anything consequential. They're just talking about, oh, this house is really nice, so there's probably some good stuff in here for us to take. He's probably got some money, blah, blah, blah. So at this point, we realize that, yeah, this is all a con. These two women just find these single guys who look like they have money, take them home, roofie them, and rob them. So um, at this point, the girls come back out of the bathroom, and they are basically in their underwear, in their panties and bra, just kind of dancing for the guy. Um, the guy's getting more and more, like, dazed, disoriented. You know, whatever they spiked his drink with is starting to take hold. Um, but right before the guy passes out, for some reason, he turns into to a complete psychosexual maniac. Like he actually like lunges at the at one of the girls, the the younger, more attractive one. He just lunges at her. She uh, must have given him the wrong drugs. <laughs> <laughs> or or he's been roofied before and he's probably used to it. I mean, he kind of looks the type. So <laughs> I can't remember. Did. It... Did the, did uh, it actually get shown on screen him finishing the wine? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I know he, he, yeah, I know he took a second, sip, but no. When they come down, you see 
he holds up his glasses like a cheers, and the glass is completely empty. Well, when no, they, I know, I, I know when, when, they showed it empty, yeah, but I they, wasn't sure if like he was onto their con and he. That's what I was thinking too. Yep, I was thinking that too because he took when they were still in the room, he took a single small sip from the glass. He didn't react or make a facial expression or anything like that. He just took a single sip. Then they left the room and said, well, make sure you finish that before we get back. But we never physically see him drink the rest of it. So that's why I I was kind of of the same mentality as Mike of, oh, maybe this guy's onto it and he dumped the wine like in a plant or in the sink or something. And he's actually going to turn it around on these girls. But no. Um, I'm pretty sure because of his reaction um, and the fact that he, well, I mean, they ended up knocking him out with a poker. But basically what happens is while he's trying to sexually assault this woman, and I mean, he is trying to sexually assault her, like he's in the process of pulling his pants down, he's pinning her to the bed. The older one tries to come to like the rescue of the younger one and he shoves her violently back on the floor um, he's literally, uh, it looks like he's literally about to insert and the other girl, the one that got pushed back, grabs a fireplace poker and knocks him out. Um, well, yeah. And, and at this point I'm like, well, obviously they've done this before, but I'm like, but has he done this before to people? Cause they both, all three of them look like they know what the hell they're doing. That's the thing. Like, and, and plus we're watching a horror movie. So we always are like on the lookout for that swerve that they're trying to trick us with or whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm very distrusting as well. Yeah, that's why I expected the guy to actually end up, you know, being more savvy than he turned out to be. So um, at this point, after the girls knock him out, he is out cold. They grab their clothes. They get dressed. They grab his wallet. They grab anything around that looks valuable. They grab his watch, things like that. Then they remember the case that he put into a side closet when they first got there. They go ahead and grab the case. They jump in their car and they just drive away. Uh, they end up driving to this secluded little wooded area off the side of the road, and they decide to stop to kind of see what they were able to get from this score. They open up his wallet. They realize that he was lying about his identity uh, because he originally identified himself as a foreigner, but it turns out he is actually from Chile. Um, but obviously, once the movie goes along uh, and we find out who this guy really is, it, it's, it's more apparent why he lied about his identity to the women at the bar. So uh, they pull over to the side and they start opening up all the stuff that they found. Like I said, they look through his wallet. They grab the money out of it. Uh, they look at his ID, blah, blah, blah. Then finally they get to the case, the mysterious metal case. And when they open it, a large cloud, like a gas cloud is ejected, spills yeah, out spray. from the inside of the case. So the case was obviously booby trapped. Um the girls take, you know, obviously they're inside of a small car. They're both bent over looking in the case when it, you know, blows the gas in their face. So they both take, you know, both barrels right in the face of this stuff. Um, they don't react right away. They, you know, they, they just cough a little bit like it might just be dust. And then they go back to their celebration because once the, the dust cloud uh, kind of clears, they realize that the case is filled with money. And I mean all sorts of money. Um, I noticed American money in there. I noticed um, English pound notes. I noticed uh, euros in there. And I think I might have seen some of that purple Brazilian money, too. So, like, this case... Yeah, geez, is this is... Uh, 
this is what was making me think that it's not like an organic virus. It's more like some type of bioweapon or potential bioweapon. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, high priced bidders out there all over because all the different types of money and it looks like he might have been retrieving it and maybe he's going to try to sell it off. And, and we get that, and that's kind of like the setup. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, so like I said, after the girls, uh, they end up stepping out of the car. They're dancing around. One of the girls actually says, oh, my mom's going to be okay now. So, obviously, they were doing bad things, but it seems like they were doing it for the right reasons. But not, none of that matters because instantly at that moment, <clears throat> both girls start coughing. They they both notice that their noses are bleeding. Like, e each of them has a nosebleed, and they're coughing violently. Suddenly, the younger, prettier of the two girls, you can start seeing like that effect where we can see the veins kind of getting drawn onto her skin. So you can see like the blue and purple of the veins suddenly through her skin. Uh, we see a large rash on her neck and face actually start to grow in front of us, which was a really nice effect, actually. Uh, they had to do that CG and it still looked really nice. So kudos there. Um and then basically, as both girls are just on the ground, coughing, slowly dying, suddenly we see a van coming down the road, just an unmarked white van coming down the road. And out of the van pops a guy in a hazmat suit. So, yeah, once you see that hazmat suit, you know somebody somewhere knows something because this guy was fully expecting uh, this to happen. Who knows? He may have even followed these women from uh, the guy's house uh, at the beginning. So... Um, he put, he comes out, um, the older of the two girls notices him and then notices that he's carrying a gun. He actually pulls out a handgun, cocks it, and he points it towards the girl, the older girl, but she turns into a total fucking turncoat. She, <laughs> she grabs the case of money and just runs, leaving her friend, uh, just dying in the road because at this point uh, the uh, the younger girl can't she can't walk she can't control her bodily functions at all she's basically on the ground deteriorating in front of her face yeah she's writhing around exactly so um, basically our our hazmat guy uh, he pulls out the cell phone the the burner phone from earlier in the segment he actually pulls it out and starts recording. Uh, these two women. So potentially, maybe our hazmat guy is the guy from the opening scene. That's you know? what I assume. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, maybe he just came to, realized they stole the case, put his hazmat suit on, and just started following them. So, yeah. Unfortunately, we never get confirmation of who's in the hazmat suit. Uh -huh. Here's, the weird thing is, is that the truck comes the other direction. It comes from up the road. It's not coming from where the girls were. It comes from up on the road. So I don't, how would he have gotten to, gotten in front of them, put on the hazmat suit before they would have gotten? That's not what I saw. I thought but, he came from behind them. No, the both truck comes from the, the both truck of their cars were facing the same direction in the road. No, I thought the truck came from in front of them because no. that's how, because she come, That's how the girl gets away. She runs. She opens the door and she runs to the front away from him. Right, and she she runs because by the girl. Yeah, look, listen. They pull over, right? They pull over on the side of the road. They pull over to the right. When they get out of the car after opening the case, they walk behind their car. They go behind it. 
Then we see the, the van coming up the road, but we don't see their car, which means it has to be coming from the same direction they just came from. Like, physically, it wouldn't make sense. Like, the car, because the car is still on the side of the road, you know, facing the way it's always been facing. They didn't turn around or anything. They literally just pulled over and stopped. Oh, see, I thought the the, the but I mean, came oh, from the front. But like I said, ultimately, we don't get confirmation of who's in the hazmat suit. So, you know, it's a minor point regardless. Uh, you know, obviously, it, it's an easy assumption to say it's our boy, you know, from the fancy house. But Maybe he had a GPS tracker on the case. Yeah, or, you know, it, that could have been somebody that he called. Potentially, he could have come to and then called an associate to look for those girls. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, multiple different paths that this thing could have uh, taken to get here. Um, but at this point, um, like I said, the guy in the hazmat suit, uh, he pulls out that burner phone. He takes a video of the younger girl dying on the ground. Uh, once he realizes that she's pretty much dead and not getting up, he decides to go after the other girl, the one who ran away with the case of money. Unfortunately, she succumbs to, you know, the virus, bacteria, whatever you want to go with. And she kind of falls down, but in the most epic way, she... Basically, what happens is her skin and all of her flesh start to deteriorate. They deteriorate to the point that she falls forward and breaks her arm. Like, from a very simple fall, a fall that would never break a human arm ever. But because the stuff, I guess, is making her body deteriorate, uh, literally compound fracture on her right arm. Fucking yeah, <laughs> The way it looks, it almost looks like it rots you from the inside out, kind of. Yeah, yeah, especially in the second segment, you know, um, we'll get to it in a little bit. But yeah, like with the guy's teeth, because uh, that was the first thing he noticed about himself, where his teeth were deteriorating, uh, not his uh, skin, blah, blah, blah. So, But we'll get to that. Um, so let's see. So um, at this exact moment, uh, just as our hazmat guy is using the burner phone to take a video of the second girl, the one who ran away, an innocent bystander motorist just happens to come by. But unfortunately, the van is blocking the road. He can't get around it. So he, uh, this guy just gets out of the car, starts looking around, and then he sees the younger of the two girls on the ground dying. She's not totally dead yet. She's still writhing. Uh, obviously in pain, um, but this guy, he has, obviously he has no idea what's going on. He just, he, he sees this girl, decides to be a good Samaritan and he picks her up and we see him walk away towards his car with the girl, but that's the last we see of him. So, you know, obviously considering at this point how powerful this virus or bio weapon is, we can all kind of assume what happened to that guy not too much longer after the end of this scene. Um, but after he he takes the younger girl, puts her in his car, and he drives away, the hazmat guy at that point uh, shoots and kills uh, the older of the two girls, the girl who broke her arm. Uh, basically just, uh, you know, I don't know if he was being merciful and ending her pain or it was just an instruction that he got from somebody. But, yeah, he ends up killing the girl. Uh, he takes the he takes the briefcase of money, picks up all the money that spilled out, puts it back in, and he goes to walk back to his van. When he gets to his van, he realizes that the first girl that was in the road is gone. She's nowhere to be found, and the uh, the good Samaritan is also gone. 
So basically, this segment ends with the hazmat guy just standing in the middle of the road wondering where the first girl ran off to. And that is the end of our first segment. Not bad. Good way to start. Like I said, you know, it's day zero, so it's not going to be the fastest start. You, you kind of have to set up the virus a little bit. But obviously, yeah. girls took a point-blank shot of it to the face. It's obviously going to work faster than it works on yeah. anybody else in the movie. Yeah, it definitely feels like the first segment was uh, an avenue to say, okay, this is how this contagion got out into the world in the first place. Exactly. All right. So, chapter two. This one takes place in Rome, Italy. Um, And it is now day 86 of the outbreak. And the name of this segment is Gully. G-U-L-L-Y. Why is it called that? I have no idea. But I'm sure somebody somewhere out there knows. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically, this segment starts out at the scene of an accident. We see a man who's hysterical trying to help someone who's on the ground. We're not sure what happened. Um, But shortly after the segment begins, an ambulance arrives to take the injured man away. Uh, The Good Samaritan uh, basically claims that uh, he witnessed a car accident that this guy got hit by a truck and that the truck just kept driving down the road. Obviously, as we continue watching chapter two, we question everything that this guy says. So take everything he says with a grain of salt. Um, While the ambulance drivers or the EMTs, while the EMTs are working on the injured guy on the ground, um, this, you know, our, our quote unquote good Samaritan, um, picks up the guy's bag. The guy has like a satchel that he's carrying with him and he looks in it to try to find the guy's ID. So they, you know, he's basically trying to help the EMTs identify this guy, blah, blah, blah. But when he opens the guy's satchel, he pulls out his wallet and realizes that there's a fat wad of cash inside the wallet. So he ends up grabbing all the money out of the wallet putting it in his own pocket and then putting the wallet back in the satchel and handing the satchel to the EMTs as they're driving away, basically saying, Hey, this is this guy's, uh, this is this guy's um, bag. You know, don't forget it. After the EMTs pull away, this guy pulls out the wad of cash and the money in the wad once again, looks very familiar. There's American dollars in there. There's Euro, there's euros, there's British pound notes, um, there's, like I said, multiple different kinds of money. So instantly we know where this money came from. At this point, um, our, our, our guy goes home. His name is Owen, by the way, our, our quote unquote Good Samaritan for this segment. Uh, he's not he has nothing to do with the Good Samaritan for the first segment. We never find out who that guy's name is, blah, blah, blah. So. Uh, So basically, Owen uh, goes back home, uh, meets up with his girlfriend that he lives with. And at at that moment, as they're eating a meal, a news report comes on the television and it talks about a crazed Chilean scientist who stole a virus and potentially may spread it, you know, may release it to the world. And when they show the picture of the guy, it is our guy from the first segment, uh, you know, the where the two girls went to his house. So it's our boy from the first segment. Uh, we now get a little bit of an explanation of who he is and what he was doing. Obviously, what his ultimate goal was for the virus. I mean, what Mike said makes the most sense 
since he did mention having an international client in that opening segment, we can probably assume that he was probably just going to sell it to some terrorists, but obviously fate had other plans. So after the news report, uh, we see the guy kind of wasting his day. Basically, his girl goes to work and he just sits around the house and he's eating, he's playing video games, he's picking his nose, he's scratching his ass. He's basically frittering his day away like, you know, a basic gaming loser probably would. And mind you, most of us have been the last few months in this pandemic. (laughs) Yes, very true. And I say gaming loser as a gamer. I am a giant gamer, but I, I have a full-time job and a wife, so I don't consider myself a gaming loser, but that's another story. Anyway, um, like I said, we see this guy kind of waste his day away. He's playing video games. Um, <laughs> he's eating food. Um, finally, he pulls out some food out of the fridge that's very clearly labeled, please do not eat. Um, It looks like it's Chinese food that his girl had bought for herself, maybe for lunch later in the week, Lord knows what. But he ends up eating all the food, and as soon as he's done eating, he instantly vomits. He vomits all the food back up. And instantly, as soon as he's done vomiting, he instantly looks different. His skin looks pale. His eyes are sunk in. He just doesn't look normal. I mean, you know, he, he looks like he has, like, a really, really bad flu or something. Uh, let's see. Um, let's yeah, he puked, blah, blah, blah. His girl ends up coming home and offering him a snack, uh, which he just downs. Like she, she gives him like a tube of crackers or cookies or something like Ritz or something. And she's trying to feed him to him kind of slowly, but he's just, he grabs the whole tube and just jams it down into his mouth. So obviously this guy has some kind of insatiable hunger, But then as soon as he's done eating, again, he pukes everything up, blah, blah, blah. Not much you can do. Uh, The next scene, the girlfriend is seen on the phone talking to a co-worker explaining that her boyfriend is sick and that she's going to miss the next couple of days of work and that she'll be back on Monday. At this point is where we realize that Owen is just a fucking whiny little bitch. He's just he's one of those sick guys that gives guys a bad name where he's just whining. I mean, he's physically crying in some scenes. He's, like, crying that he's sick. And and instantly, when I see a grown man cry because he's sick, I just want to punch him in the throat. But that's a story for another show. So, yeah, like I said, it's, it's established early that Owen is just a whiny little bitch, absolutely does not deserve the girlfriend that he has who's working a full-time job, supporting his dumb ass, everything else. And she's pretty damn cute, way out of his league. But again, that's movie magic for you. Uh, So basically, you know, after it's been established that Owen is a complete whiny little idiot, um, suddenly his girlfriend starts um, displaying the same symptoms that he has. Uh, She basically runs into the bathroom right after he just finished eliminating in the bathroom and she runs in and pukes right into the toilet. Uh, Owen instantly shows concern because he realizes, oh shit, I just gave her my virus. And then after she's done puking, she goes back to the bedroom where Owen is laying on the, or sitting on the bed. And she starts to talk about how awful she feels. And then Owen who right before she walked into the bedroom started peeling his fingernails off his hand, which is, it's always a good sign in horror movies, right? Um, He wants to show her his injury 
and she gets upset with them because she just finished puking her guts out. And literally, as soon as she walks back into the room, he wants to start showing her what's wrong with him now. Like, you know, like basically, I don't know, looking for sympathy or whatever. She gets really mad at him, starts yelling at him, admonishing him, talking about how she pays all the bills and how she's basically served him hand and foot over the last week or so. And finally, she starts talking about how, oh, you don't even have a job, blah, blah, blah. And then she makes the realization that over the last week or so, she's been leaving like want ads with jobs circled for him to call. And she actually starts to say, wait a minute, did you actually call any of the jobs that I told you about? And of course, he doesn't really answer. He just turns his head and starts crying. You know, of course, she just goes ballistic. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? All this time, I thought you were looking for a job, and you've been sitting here eating and texting me all day and blah, blah, blah. So she's finally had enough of Owen. She starts to pack a bag. Um, she, she packs it really fucking quick and basically lets Owen know that she's going to be staying at her sister's and that he needs to take himself to the hospital because she's done taking care of him. If he's that sick, he needs to go to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. Of course, Owen doesn't go to the hospital. He ends up staying at the apartment by himself. Um, and then we just see, this is this is like the start of the little segment I was talking about earlier, where we just see Owen kind of deteriorate over the next five to ten minutes of the film. Um, he's seen just, you know, getting worse, pulling uh, his nails out. He realizes that his teeth are turning black, like dark. So he goes to brush them, and when he brushes them, a few of them fall out. They actually start to fall out of his mouth. So, you know, again, another uh, sign that something's not right. Um, and then we see Owen actually get delivery from, you know, from a, a takeout place. Um, obviously, it's probably the way that he's been surviving, probably using the stolen money from, you know, the beginning of the segment to survive because his girl is gone. No idea how long he's been there. You know, I mean, it, it could be anything from a couple of days to a couple of weeks, it seems like, because his deterioration is pretty gnarly. Like I said, his teeth fall out, his nails fall out, his hair falls out. He can't hold any food in despite having insatiable hunger, which is going to be a common theme in this film other than the first segment. Um, you know, he, he can't keep anything down, blah, blah, blah. And then we start to see him deteriorate more. And what we actually see is he starts to bloat he actually starts to get bloated. Like his body mass actually doubles. Like Owen wasn't a fat guy. He was a fairly average built guy. But then suddenly he looks like a fat old man. Like, you know, his body is bloated. I don't know if he got like super diabetes or something. But um, one night someone knocks on his door and he opens the door and it's a trick or treater. It's a little kid that says trick or treat. So I guess we can count this as a Halloween movie, right? <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So the kid uh, basically says trick or treat, but Owen doesn't really take any precautions to cover his face. So he basically answers the door with a blanket over his head, but his face is still fully exposed. As soon as the little kid looks at him, you think that the kid's going to, like, scream and go running. Instead, the kid pulls off his mask, smiles, and says, wow, I like your mask better. 
And and the scene just ends with Owen just staring at the trick-or-treater, breathing his Darth Vader breathing, you know, because throughout the movie uh, or throughout the segment, he's having trouble breathing. His breathing is getting more labored as it goes, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there's that. Um, let's see. So uh, the trick-or-treater, he actually, after a while, he actually looks like he's like almost turning into a zombie. Because um, this is where we first see an example of their eyes glossing over. Apparently, if this virus goes undetected or untreated for long enough, the eyes will gloss over and start to look pure white, just like the classic zombie look. Um, even though they're not zombified, I mean, it, it's kind of a weird zombification because they look like zombies and they eat anything they can get their hands on. Not necessarily just human flesh, though I'm sure they would if they needed to, but he still has most of his mental capacity. Like he can still speak, um, you know, he can still eat, even though he just pukes it up right away, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we get an absolutely awful scene um, where he's sitting on the toilet, butt naked, butt ass naked to the world. And he's basically, he just has the most explosive diarrhea you could possibly think of. The sound effects are awful. Worse than Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> that one scene in Dumb and Dumber. I mean, yeah, it, he's literally, and the camera keeps panning up and down and making me look at his goddamn penis. I don't need to see any more dick, damn it. But yeah, there it is. <laughs> they show it to us multiple times. Um, and like I said, he's he's sitting on the toilet having explosive diarrhea. He's pulling his hair out in clumps out off his head. He's pulling teeth out of his mouth, like with very little effort. They're just kind of coming out. Uh, he just, he's an absolute wreck. He looks terrible. At the exact same moment that this scene is happening, we see um, his girlfriend uh, at her sister's house uh, cooking herself up um, some broccoli, I think. And she looks at a pregnancy test and you can see by the expression on her face that she's not ultra happy. Yes. She is now pregnant with a monster baby. Probably though. She probably got pregnant before Owen got the virus. So hopefully it's not a monster baby. Um, but Owen even has, and then there's just, there's one little soliloquy where I, I just can't feel bad for Owen, where he's, he's basically on the ground, he looks like a fucking zombie, and he's just lamenting his luck. He's like, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, I shouldn't have done that, or, you know, I'm not sure if he's talking about stealing the guy's money, because obviously at this point, he's still not going to know what's going on. He himself hasn't really been watching the news to see all the updates on the virus, because there is, you know, like I said, it's day 86. So, you know, there's a virus that's been going around for almost three months now. His girlfriend is aware of it because she's watching the news at her sister's house. So she's aware of what's going on. Once she finds out that she's pregnant, apparently she has a change of heart about how she feels about Owen. And she ends up going back uh, to the apartment. And that's, you know, we see Owen just bloated. He's got lesions and sores all over his body that are leaking pus. There's pus coming out of his eyes. Yeah, he, that was I was probably most yeah. disgusted by that because that's something you don't normally see in a lot of movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's gross. Um, and then th this is the segment where they kind of try to pull at the heartstrings the most in this movie. 
But unfortunately, because Owen is kind of a piece of shit, he's just kind of using his girl, you know, not making an effort to make himself a better person. It's really hard for us to sympathize. But basically what happens is uh, Owen's girlfriend comes back. She sees him in the state that he's in, bloated, and, oh, God, the, the smell must be fucking awful. Um, just, you know, like I said, pus coming out of lesions and everything else. But she instantly is like, we're going to get through this. We're going to get you the help that you need. And then she starts kissing him. Ah! <laughs> God, awful. I'm sorry, but... I flat out told Mrs. Venom, if you look like that, I am never kissing you. I am so sorry, but no, this is the real world. I'm not kissing a fat, bloated monster that might kill me. So, yeah. And the segment just kind of ends on a somber note with Owen and his girlfriend just sitting on the floor and her repeating to Owen, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And then it just ends. And even the score is kind of like a somber little piano tune that's playing. Like I said, they're definitely going for um, some emotions here. But like I said, uh, Owen is just not the character that deserves any of our sympathies. So they kind of ruined that. They do themselves a disservice by making Owen kind of a piece of shit. They should have made him just a normal guy. And maybe, you know, I would have had some kind of emotional attachment and maybe this segment would have had uh, the emotional kind of strength that the filmmaker was going for. But like I said, what are you going to do? All right. Yeah. Well, and oh. the the girlfriend, she was uh, infected by the end, right? Cause oh, absolutely. I, think, I mean, once she peed, yeah, it showed on her obvious. neck all the marks too. Yeah, exactly. That when she when she leaned over to kiss him on the forehead, her neck is exposed, and you see the lesions and sores there too. So yeah, it's very obvious the girl has it as well. But obviously, as this movie's going along, the viewer is learning. Uh, no one's going to be safe from this thing. It seems like, I mean, it's getting spread through money as of right now. Um, or actually, yeah, for the, for the whole movie, it's basically spread through the money, uh, the money that was in that briefcase. And now you know why there are different denominations and different um, notes in there, because mm -hmm. that stuff has to get spread around the world. That's why there's American money, euros, pound notes. Um, there's probably rupees in there I didn't notice, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, really, I mean, for whatever it's worth, the, the, this mad scientist was still kind of smart. <laughs> it's, almost like a, it's almost like a 12 monkeys situation. <laughs> yes, very much. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But, yeah, that's valid. All right, so now it is time for Chapter 3. Chapter 3 takes place in Kosovo, Russia. Um, it is now day 104 of the outbreak, and the name of this segment is The Body. Now, uh, our segment opens up with a fairly attractive woman, well-dressed, uh, basically giving a monologue about beauty and the price of beauty, like what people have to go through to get beautiful, to get famous, to get popular, things like that. Just very cryptic diatribe that she goes on. And then we meet... Um, the woman of this seg oh, well, woman, quote unquote, of this segment and named Laura and Laura is basically a trans woman. She is a it looks like she was born a man and is in the process of transitioning to female. Um, she's had multiple plastic surgeries. You know, she's got the big collagen lips. Um, you know, she's got the big fake boobs. Yet she doesn't have much of an hourglass figure, you know, so you could. And on top of the fact, she has a penis, which once again, they forced me to look at. So, yes, there we go. More penis for me. because They all know how much I love it. 
All right. So, so Laura is basically um, the, the person, uh, the attractive woman at the beginning who was giving the monologue turns out to be a doctor of some sort um, who has been giving uh, Laura injections in her body to kind of, you know, like I said, collagen and, you know, whatever random other things you can get done with a syringe. Um, what is it? Uh, botulism? What's that stuff called? Botox. 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 Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, basically, the woman pulls out a syringe filled with a gr- glowing green substance, which instantly makes you uh, remember the reanimator. And mm-hmm. wondering yeah. why <laughs> why would somebody walk around with a syringe of reagent <laughs> from, from reanimator? But there it is. Uh, she convinces the woman to accept these injections. Um, the woman, uh, the trans woman, Laura, uh, lays flat on her couch, butt naked. And this is this is the scene that Don was talking about a little bit earlier. Um, mm-hmm. She gets she gets her first injection of this glowing green liquid directly into the nipple of her right breast, just dead center nipple, just boom, right in there. Uh, the doctor is holding Laura down on the couch because obviously Laura is going through some discomfort. Uh, she then makes the second injection into the left breast. That one doesn't go directly into the nipple, but it's still basically right next to it, just off to the side slightly. So two direct injections of this stuff into both breasts. Uh, then she injects some into her lips. You know, like into the side of one of her lips, you know, uh, I guess to make her lips fuller, though her lips were already gigantic before the procedure started. But again, you know, when certain people look in the mirror, they see different things than other people. So blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to judge her too, too harshly. Um, But yeah, and then she takes the fourth and final injection directly into the buttocks, like um, into the right butt cheek, I believe. So four total injections. Uh, She ends up paying the woman with a very familiar looking wad of cash that we've been seeing throughout. And uh, the doctor ends up leaving. And at first, the injections seem like they're working. Her lips get bigger. Her breasts look like they get bigger and more firm. Her butt. uh, I mean, I couldn't really tell if the butt was getting any bigger or more shapely, but I can make the assumption. So at that point, Laura is kind of taking selfies and admiring her new look. But then she realizes once again, or not once again for her, but once again for this film, she notices she has a nosebleed. Um, So, um, and I did forget to mention the nosebleed in the second segment. The nosebleed is going to be common to all segments. We saw it in the first one. We saw it with Owen in the second one. And uh, we'll see it here. And I'm... the, the the fourth segment, like I said, it occurs so far into the outbreak that the nosebleed section is probably gone. Or, you know, the, the, when you would have the nosebleed is long past. So, um, so let's see. So after Laura uh, takes these selfies and realizes that her nose is bleeding, uh, she ends up sending a text message to someone named Marco, uh, basically telling him, you know, get over here as fast as you can. I've got a big surprise for you. Marco arrives at Laura's apartment, um, knocks at the door. No one answers, so he just walks in. The door is unlocked. Um, All the lights are off in the house except for a film projector, one of those digital projectors, and it's just, it's basically just projecting pictures of Laura 
um, different boudoir pictures that she had taken over the years, nudes, non-nudes, lingerie, things like that, um, all just being projected on the wall. Marco walks in. As soon as Laura makes her presence known, Marco literally starts taking his clothes off instantly, like as soon as he sees her. Laura comes down the stairs. Marco obviously is enamored with her new look. And they start to make out. Um, it looks like Marco actually gets on his knees, like he's about to go down on Laura. But then um, he ends up standing back up quickly. And in the process of that happening, Laura turns him around and pins him to the wall. Yes, my friends, we have to watch a trans woman peg a Latino in this film. What are you going to do? Um, it definitely... this, hey, this the, vi- the virus lurks in crazy ways. I mean, yeah, well, definitely. Um, This is obviously going to be one of those duh kind of statements, but I mean, this entire segment just felt like knife plus heart from a couple of years ago. And and not just because of the sexuality thing. Also, the way it was shot, how it's in the dark, um, the music that's even playing is very reminiscent of knife plus heart. So um, obviously, you know, there's the obvious thing of the, uh, you know, um, more counterculture sexuality thing happening. But there's also, like I said, the lighting and the score and everything else. And, of course, we all liked Knifeless Heart for the most part over here at Fresh Cuts, so not a bad thing to remind us of. Okay, so the next morning, Laura wakes up. Marco has left, but he leaves a note on the table saying that he had a great time and that he loves her, and he left some money on the table, so... Now we realize Laura is a trans woman prostitute Um, because earlier in the segment, too, she's talking on the phone to her friend Ava and her friend Ava says, oh, I've got a client coming over. I need to go. So it's apparently we've got like a little uh, club of prostitutes here. Call girls, I guess, would be the better term since the men would travel, you know, would go to their homes and whatnot. Mm. They're not streetwalkers, you know. All right. So. Um, at that point, we start to see Laura's insatiable hunger, uh, kind of start up. We see Laura start to eat an apple, but then as she's eating the apple, she pulls out what I can only assume is a jar of mayonnaise. And I'm going to go with that because anything else just kind of grosses me out. But basically she pulls out a jar of mayonnaise and just starts fingering whole globs of it into her mouth while she's eating this apple. So, yeah, we've uh, once again another example of the insatiable hunger that these people kind of go through. We don't we don't end up seeing Laura uh, vomit. Um, They I guess they decided not to do any vomit in this segment. But, you know, we could probably all still make the assumption. All right. So um, at that point, after Laura eats her apple with mayo, gross. Uh, She notices that she has terrible sores and lesions at the injection sites, at the four injection sites from the night before. Um, And a couple of them are actually, like, expelling pus. There's, like, liquid coming out of it, blah, blah, blah. Um, She obviously freaks out. She thinks that she's having an allergic reaction to potentially whatever it was she was injected with. So she ends up calling the doctor and leaving a voicemail saying, doctor, I think I'm having an allergic reaction. Can you please call me as soon as you can? And then literally, as soon as Laura puts the phone down, she receives a text and it is from her doctor. 
And it is a very cryptic text, which, you know, kind of falls in line with the doctor's personality from, you know, the opening scene of this segment. Uh, but she basically sends her a text, something along the lines of pain is the price that we pay for beauty and blah, 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 a couple of more lines. And then she ends the text with a thousand euro for the next injection. So um, Laura earlier in the segment had been raving about how cheap this woman was, that uh, a lot of people spend thousands of euros to go to these clinics to get this exact same procedure done that she just paid a couple hundred bucks for. But now we are learning why she only had to pay a couple of hundred bucks for the first one. Ah, mm -hmm. rough, 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 rough. Okay, so um, she realizes that she's going to need that thousand euros. She obviously doesn't have it. She's got, the, she's got a couple of hundred that Marco had left for her from the night before. But, you know, like I said, she needs a thousand. So she ends up texting another one of her Johns. Um, and once again, invites him over, you know, saying, come on over as soon as you can. I got something to show you. Uh, but this time, uh, the, the person in question is an older gentleman. He's got white hair. Um, but when he walks in, once again, all the lights are off in Laura's apartment. But this time when Laura comes out, she doesn't want to take any of her clothes off for very obvious reasons. Um, but the guy gets really despondent and says, look, I'm paying for this. I want to see you naked. So he basically rips Laura's top offer, exposing even more deterioration to the point that her breasts look like beehives. You know how beehives have that honeycomb look to it with all the holes in it? That's what her fucking breasts Yeah, that made me uh, uncomfortable looking at it. I was like, Ooh. Yeah, that made I was more like I found a new kink. <laughs> what can you do with all those little holes exactly <laughs> but yeah um basically you know laura runs into the bathroom sees that the damage on her breasts and her mouth have gotten even worse um but her john walks into the bathroom and he reacts very poorly you know, basically saying, what the fuck is wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. At that point, Laura snaps. Uh, she pulls a knife out um, from the sink that she's standing in front of and violently kills the old guy. Stabs him multiple times. Gets on top. After he falls to the floor, gets on top of him. Stabs him even more. I mean, she stabbed this guy to fucking death. Easily. He dead. So... After that, um, Ava arrives, um, uh, Laura's friend Ava that she was speaking to earlier in the uh, segment. And when she walks in, she finds the old guy's body on the floor. There's blood all over the place. There's a knife on the ground next to his body. Um, she calls out for Laura and sees that Laura is standing at the window. Uh, Laura ends up turning around to expose just the gnarly amount of damage that she's now gone through. At this point, her eyes are completely glossed over, just like Owen in the last segment. Um, but again, she can still speak. She kind of, you know, her, her mind apparently is still working because uh, Ava basically asks her, what the hell happened to you? And Laura just very cryptically looks at her and says, I just wanted to be beautiful. But it's in a very demonic voice. It's like one of those doubled voices where you hear Laura's voice and then you hear like a, a darker, deeper voice at the same time. So, yeah, in a very demonic voice, she just says, I just wanted to be beautiful. And the segment ends. That's the end of segment number three, the body. 
Um, definitely a hard one to watch. Probably the hardest one to watch because of the damage that this girl was going through. And, you know, the whole thing with the beehive uh, breasts. Oh, that definitely... That was the cringe moment for me for the movie. Not to say it was the only time I cringed, but it was the hardest cringe of the whole movie. I just felt so bad for her. And anybody who has that fear, I forget what the um I forget what the name of that phobia is, but the phobia of holes in your skin, do not watch this movie. Never watch this movie because it's going to set you off. You will be triggered to use a 2020 term. All right. <laughs> yes. So, for our final segment, chapter 4, this segment takes place in Cologne, Germany, and it is day 913 of the outbreak. Uh, and this segment is called The Cabin. Uh, basically, what we see is a man walking. Uh, first, we see a man walking in the woods, but we hear his voice like he's talking to someone. Um, he ends up arriving back at his cabin, and we see that he's basically recording a vlog. Uh, you know, a YouTube video, whatever you want to go with. Um, basically, just um, just trying to make, you know, a, a record of what's happening. He starts talking about what he thinks. And, and this is a great little scene because it shows a lot of the misinformation that people will get. Um, kind of like with COVID-19, people calling it the China virus or the Kung flu or thinking that it came from bats or whatever, like all this misinformation, even in today's age with instant information, there's still misinformation out there. So um, basically, our, our, our mystery man is talking into the camera and what he thinks happened is that um, some pharmaceutical company came up with some new illicit drug, some, you know, one of those new fancy boutique types of drugs, and that the drug ended up having side effects that then created this whole um, apocalypse, the outbreak that we're going through right now. And according to the gentleman, they actually did create a vaccine for this thing that's happening. The problem is, is that the vaccine is incredibly expensive. Um, we don't get an exact price, um, but, you know, he basically says that only the rich can afford the vaccine. So everybody else is pretty much dying. And what this guy is doing is he's basically just like a zombie apocalypse. He's going out during the day and raiding like other houses and buildings in the area, trying to scrounge together food and money, um, basically trying to get the money together to um, help out his kid, which, of course, that's the tie to this segment uh, from all the other segments is the money. They don't actually show a lot of cash in this one, but the mere fact that multiple times throughout the segment, he talks about the money. You know, we need this money. I'm going to uh, at one point he leaves the cabin. Um, oh, wait, I'm skipping ahead. So um, after he records, after he's done recording this vlog where he kind of is admonishing pharmaceutical companies and, you know, calling them evil, saying that they make money on the virus and the vaccine, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's when he lets us know that he has a son, uh, a son who has been infected with the virus and who is in the process of dying. And he basically talks in the vlog about how he's taking precautions to try to save his son. So basically what he's doing is whenever the kid has a new outbreak of the lesions or the pus-filled, you know, globules on his skin, 
the dad is cutting body parts off his son. So we basically see a flashback scene where he cuts off his son's right hand um, in a fairly violent little scene. And then later when we actually do meet the son, whose name is Connor, uh, we see that his right hand is bandaged and missing. We see that other parts of his body are missing. Um, not not major parts like arms and legs, but like little chunks of flesh here and there. It's all bandaged up, blah, blah, blah. Um, dad is uh, in the next scene. Dad uh, basically just got back from another one of his raids. He was able to get a can of food and a brownie for his son. As it turns out, it is Connor's birthday. So he actually has a birthday candle that he puts in the brownie and lights it, sings the happy birthday song for his son. Owen somehow musters up the strength to be able to blow the candle out because Owen's basically bedridden. He's not really moving much. He's alive. He's very alive, but he's just not very active. Um, we then, uh, let's see. Um, Dad falls asleep in the room with Owen after his birthday meal. Um, but then when he wakes up, Owen is gone. Or, I, I said Owen, I'm sorry, Connor. Connor is gone. Uh, Dad is, you know, wondering where the hell his son went. Uh, he runs out of the cabin, uh, starts following a trail of blood that he sees, and then finally he finds his son eating a fox. Uh, basically, it looks like uh, Connor killed a fox and just started eating it. Once again, the insatiable hunger, um, you know, the common denominator for all of these segments. Um, and Dad obviously pulls him away, tries to stop him from eating the, the, the fox. Um, when Dad gets him back home, he realizes that there's new lesions on the boy's arm, so he actually grabs his hatchet and starts slicing, literally slicing bits of flesh off of Connor's arm, um, any of the parts of his arm that have the lesions or any discoloration or anything, he's basically just chopping it all off. So um, at this point, Connor's asleep and dad once again decides to leave the cabin to go to town to try to find some more food and money. Uh, dad, when dad gets back, he finds Connor screaming in his bed, screaming at the top of his lungs um, Dad is trying to look on Connor's body for any new breakouts that he could potentially cut off. But at that moment, as he's doing it, Connor basically grabs his father's hatchet and just says, I'm sorry, right before he slits his own throat. And, of course, Connor bleeds out and passes away, much to Dad's chagrin. You know, he, he starts crying and, you know, having just a terrible reaction to it. And then the very next scene after that, Dad is once again uh, recording another vlog. But as he's recording the vlog, he has he has like a, a, a handkerchief that he's holding over his mouth. Like he's not showing us his mouth. Um, and then at the same time, as he's uh, recording the vlog and speaking into the camera, we actually see like flashback shots of Dad literally scissoring off his own uh, bottom lip. Apparently dad started getting lesions on his bottom lip and literally cut the majority of his bottom lip off, lip off. There's a couple of little chunks of it still left, but um, for the, for the most part, he cuts his entire body off, uh, bottom lip off. 
And then dad makes uh, one final vlog entry where he talks about, you know, I hope that the people who started this get what they deserve because millions of us, you know, didn't deserve this, blah, blah, blah. And then he pulls the, the handkerchief away from his mouth to expose his missing lower lip. And uh, the movie just ends right there. Uh, basically fade to black. And that is our film, Ill Final Contagion 2020. That that last segment kind of gave me a bit of a It Comes at Night vibe. Just oh, because absolutely. of the small cabin and the dad trying to protect. You know, well, I guess in this case, the son was already infected when the story picks up, but just kind of like the similar survivalist. We're obviously like, like you said, way further into uh, the contagion taking over. So that's the vibe I got from that. Yeah, one. absolutely. My biggest issue with that final scene is how the hell was Dad making the F sound without a bottom lip? Think yeah, that that you see, that was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because he even says something that starts with an F. And it sounds perfect. And I'm and I'm looking at it like, you can't make that noise. But, eh, minor nitpick. Not a big deal. The fact that I'm staring at a guy who basically sawed off his bottom lip totally makes up for the fact that he can still make F sounds. So, yeah. Um, yeah, talking, sitting here talking about this movie actually might have brought it up a little bit. Because I, I had forgotten a couple of minor little points here and there that I thought were done really well, like the you know the bottom lip, um, the uh, the um, Laura's final form in uh, her segment in the third chapter, but ultimately the best final form in my opinion was Owen's final form in uh, the second segment where he's just a bloated gas bag of pus and shit and oh it's so great. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I love how they did this. I love that all four stories take place in a different country, showing various degrees of what's happening. Obviously, you know, different people are going to react differently to certain viruses, bacterial infections, uh, bioweapons, whatever the case may be. Nothing, you know, nothing does the exact same thing to everybody. I mean, even the common cold reacts differently depending on the person, so... Yeah, uh, I gotta say. I yeah, really and and it. I and I like how different people got it in different methods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like oh, it's you know it's out there and then everyone's gonna you know turn into the same thing or uh, all the same symptoms. It was kind of specific to how it was ingested or. Uh, I thought I thought they that. were the, like after the first two segments, I thought they were going for like a karma thing. Because obviously you got the two girls that steal the case in the first segment, and then you've got Owen in the second segment, who's an absolute piece of shit. But then, yeah, they kind of abandon the whole karma thing because Laura, you know, even though Laura is a trans woman, she's obviously confused about her sexuality, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, she didn't deserve, you know, getting the virus and, and you know, everything that she had to go through. And then, of course, the final segment, um, which... I was kind of shocked that this isn't the segment that they went for um, kind of a more emotional impact with. Um, the fourth segment is the shortest segment. It's literally like 18 minutes long and it's just, you know, it, and it goes by in a blink. You know, you almost don't, it doesn't even feel 18 minutes. It feels like it's 10 minutes long. Um, but like I said, the, the choice of the filmmakers to go with the second segment for the quote unquote kind of heartwarming type ending I just thought didn't work 
for obvious reasons. Like I said, Owen is such a jerk. Um, you know, he lies to his girl pretty much at every turn. Um, you know, it doesn't do the things that he, that a responsible adult needs to do. So, you know, obviously we don't have any sympathy for him, but then we get a father and son who, you know, the filmmakers don't make it seem like either of them are bad people. They're just normal guys that got caught in this apocalypse. I'm actually really shocked that they didn't expand on that story a little bit more and finish the movie with a more emotional impact. I know that's kind of what they were going for anyway, and I'm sure a lot of people would probably disagree with me that the movie does actually end on a kind of not heartwarming, but um, either hopeful or sympathetic ending. But I, I feel like they could have done a lot more for that. I mean, we could, they could have introduced Connor when he was still healthy, um, just something just so that, you know, so that when Connor finally takes, because that's the other thing, too, is that Connor took his own life. But there's no emotional weight behind that because we literally met him five minutes earlier. You know what I mean? Whereas we spend all this time with Owen in this in the longest segment of this movie, and he just turns out to be, you know, kind of a shitty person that, you know, if you want to say he deserves what he got, fine. I'm not going to argue with it. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that uh, bacterial death mm -hmm. is a proper answer to being a shitty boyfriend. But, you know ultimately you don't feel bad for him so i am a little surprised that they went with that ending for the second one with a character that nobody sympathizes with <laughs> oh well yeah i mean like overall yeah like i said i like the movie enjoyable has its flaws there's obviously limitations it worked with but i i felt it handled pretty much all that well yeah i would, I would love to see like more from these directors though like you know, given proper conditions, I yeah. think they all they all interested me enough with what they did with the resources they had. It makes me kind of want to look up like what else they've done, if it's even in the genre at all, or you know. Yeah, these and, could be you know all new directors for all we know. But mm -hmm. yeah, because I've never heard of any of them. But I, I, didn't really I, look I know them a couple. Up. I know a couple of them. The oh. yeah, the first guy is the one that did Trump. And he also did a couple of other segments earlier in his career. I've seen um, – he did a film called Sindero in 2015, which was just before Trauma. And he also did a zombie film called Zombie Dawn in like 2010, I think. That was his first. And then the director of the third one, that's uh, Domiziano Cristofaro. He's, he's done a bunch of like Italian grindhouse stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think he started pretty much like 2000, like 2012 or 13. He started doing a couple of shorts and then he started moving into like doing like Grindhouse. Like, um, I think he's the one that does a couple of stuff for Unearthed. I think that's where you got the, the confusion from. That might be it. Yeah, yeah cause he's actually done a couple of stuff that's been released by Unearthed. Um, okay. But yeah, um, I and then I'm looking up. I'm looking up the uh, Kai Bogatsky, I guess yeah. uh, he, the Russian director. He actually wrote uh, the Blood Feast remake from 2016, which I absolutely hated. I hated that movie with a passion. Ah, I mean, how do you make a how do you make a remake of one of the cheapest movies ever made, and it still is way worse than the original? Ah, so yeah. 
If anybody's interested in uh, the Herschel Gordon Lewis remakes, never ever watch Blood Feast. Ah, it's upsetting. It literally is an upsetting film. Like I was angry when it was over. <laughs> All right, Mike, what do you say? All right, yeah. Speaking of over, that's the episode of Fresh Cuts for the final of 2020 i said that all out of order like i'm discombobulated final episode of 2020 for fresh cuts we'll be back in a couple weeks um the date is tentative um only because we usually record mondays we still want it to be the sometime during the week of the fourth it'll just depend on who ends up being a guest and how we can make the schedule work for the people that want to join us um so yeah approximately two weeks from now but uh yeah before we get out of here what do we got new for people to listen to venom i'll go to you um not really much obviously it's the end of the year and you know a lot of people take little breaks from podcasting but let's see i do have a new episode of it's not horror okay the movie commentary podcast i do with uh, Mr. Neil Lemoy and a lot others. Um, we've looked at what did we do this week? Oh God, yes, we looked at the Hulk Hogan movie No Holds Barred. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was fucking torture. And and that and this is coming from an '80s wrestling fan. Like I loved wrestling in the '80s. I never ever watched any of those Hulk Hogan movies because um, they came like '89 and after. By that point, I wasn't really watching wrestling anymore, so I had no interest in the movies. But yeah, holy shit, No Holds Barred is a slag. Ah, it just so poorly written, poorly acted, poorly edited, poorly scored. I, anything else I could think of? It just—it's not a very good movie. And to those who love it, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to say anything negative about a fan of that movie. If it worked for you, it worked for you. Did not work for me. It was an hour and a half of torture. So if you want to hear me die inside for an hour and a half, check out the latest episode of It's Not Horror, okay? Um, on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, we finally did make our triumphant return a couple of weeks ago. We were finally able to look at my favorite Heisei-era Godzilla film, Godzilla vs. Destoroya. And uh, we also continued our retrospective of uh, the original Ultraman series with episode number 23, My Home is Earth. Um, hopefully that show is back for good. We'll be back to our once a month schedule. So look out for an episode from us in January. Um, on In the Mic of Madness, another show that has finally made its return after a few months of hiatus. Uh, we, on the latest episode, we looked at Frank Henenlotter's Basket Case, his uh, very first film. And on the next episode, we'll be finishing off the trilogy with Basket Case 2 and 3. Look out for those episodes on the Prescribed Film Podcast Network. And then, of course, on the main show, No More Room in Hell, uh, we recorded episode 26 a couple of weeks ago where we looked at a pair of UK subterranean horror films, uh, specifically Raw Meat, also known as Deathline, and Creep from 2004, I believe, or three, one of those. Um, and then on the next episode of No More Room in Hell, which, are be, which will be our final episode of 2020 for the main show, 
We're going to be looking at a couple of Evil Dead ripoff films. We're going to be looking at 2010's Primal and 2012's Wither. So look out for that on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network sometime next week. And the last thing I'll bring up is our uh, Christmas special, our commentary Christmas special that we did for the main show. We looked at 2018 Sleigh Bells. Um, That commentary should be out later this week. Um, It was a first-time watch for all of us that were involved in the commentary, so it turned out to be a really fun time, and uh, my drug use actually helped out a lot, so go figure. So check out that episode also on the Dark Discussions (laughs) Podcast Network. And um, one guest spot to bring up is, uh, just because I had such a great time, is Cut to the Chase. I was on, I forget if it's episode three or four, of of uh, Chasemus, if you will, Cut to the Chasemus. Uh, we looked at one of my favorite holiday films ever, and that is Edward Scissorhands, probably my second favorite Tim Burton movie ever. So that was on Cut to the Chase. Check that one out. Also on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. And that's it for me. All right. Uh, Don, do you got anything? Other than the uh, Underwater Kaiju show? Nope. (laughs) All right. Time to prepare for the top ten, boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get those final watches, those rewatches in. Final rewatches. And what's funny, too, is Usually what I try to do is before I do any of that, yeah, I was going to say before I do any of that, I usually try to make, like, a rough draft, and then that's when I start hitting the, like, Rewatches or getting in last minute watches. Exactly. And I was going to say that even though 2020 was a pandemic year and we didn't have cinemas to enjoy, um, this is actually going to be a hard top 10 for me. I mean, this was a pretty solid year at the top anyway. We may not have had as many quality films in total this year as we have the last few years in horror. Um, obviously, without the cinema, we missed out on a lot of the bigger titles, you know, the Conjurings and the Quiet Places of the World. But I felt like this was still a really strong year, and I am not going to have an easy time with my top ten. Yeah, I'm just going off the top of my head. I I have a feeling, and this could change once I actually break out the list of everything I've watched, but I know there's like a small handful that I really, really liked and that are going to be somewhere probably on the, you know, I guess one through five area. I feel like once I get to like six through ten, that's where it kind of opens up and there's going to be so many movies where I'm like, okay, does this push this one out or up or off? And that's going to be the struggle for me, I think, is is like filling out the list outside of like the ones I really, really liked. <laughs> But anyways, we um, have plenty of time. Well, it's not going to feel like it once yeah. it's all said to, to now. But um, anyways, uh, and, you know, final show of 2020, I can't end it without saying, Don, thanks for, you, you know, you started as kind of like, hey, uh, you can come on this week. And then you just kind of been showing up since. So thanks for, you know, kind of becoming a regular co-host on Fresh Cuts. I always say it. It's always fun to be here with you guys. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's going to do it for this final episode of 2020. Um, 
for listeners of both shows, there should be, if, if all goes well, there's still one more episode of No More Room in Hell, as Benham mentioned, on the way. Um, it, it'll probably be, I'm, I'm guessing it'll be released like either, what, the very last day or so of 2020 or right at the beginning of 2021, um, just because of when it's recording, and then Top Ten Show, and then we get to do it all over again in 2021. <laughs> So Hopefully that, I get to go to the theater this year. Yeah, I know, really. <laughs> um, so thanks, everyone, for listening to us for another year, and let's do it all again in 2021. Everyone say goodbye. Happy holidays, and see you next year. Merry Christmas, and hail Satan.